and we're going to turn our attention uh, to God's Word uh, first in Isaiah chapter 9 and then in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there uh, and prepare for that transition. If not, you can follow along with the words on the screen as we together hear the Word of the Lord. First, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And now we're going to turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 14 through 18. Again, let's hear the word of the Lord. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father God, this morning I'm just touched by the fact that, uh, that you, Jesus, would come as a great, great Lord and a helpless baby. We ask, O oh God, that through your word and by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit among us, your church, you would make that real for us in a new way this morning. Father, I ask that you would bind my lips and my tongue that no false word might pass from them. In fact, that you would just move me aside completely, that it would be just your Holy Spirit who speaks straight to each and every heart. Fill us with your joy this morning, God. Joy to gather with the saints, to hear your word, and to have your Holy Spirit reveal to us the wonderful things contained within. We praise your holy name. Amen. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Give me Jesus, the Prince of Peace. 
what does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? I mean, we hear it every Christmas, Prince of Peace, but, but what does it really mean if we unpack it a little bit? Let's take Prince first. Jesus as a Prince. Prince means royalty. It means ruler. It means heir to a throne. It means Lord of our lives. Jesus, the Prince. And if he's the Prince of Peace... Does that mean that he is prince over the region of peace? Like if you want to be under the lordship of Christ, you step into peace in your relationships with God, with others, with the creation, and then you're in the region of peace where Jesus is the prince? Or does it mean that that he himself is just marked by peace? Like he's the prince of peace. He's the most peaceful person in all the world. I, I grew up... Uh, with some kind of cheesy Christian uh, like media, television, radio drama books. And there was this one show called Bible Man. And I will be stunned if anyone's heard of Bible Man. All right, a couple Bible Man fans in the room. I, you what? Okay, you're right. A couple of people aware of Bible Man in the room. Um <clears throat> Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. But Bible Man, it was, he had like a lightsaber. It was like a combo of Star Wars and Superman. Um, you should check it out on YouTube if you want a good laugh. So in Bible Man, one of the supervillains in one of the very few episodes that they had money to make was the Prince of Pride. The Prince of Pride, and he was called the Prince of Pride, not because he ruled over the region of pride, but because he was the most prideful person in all the world. His rule was marked by pride, by how proud he was. When Jesus is the Prince of Peace, does that mean that that he is just the most peaceful, that his reign is marked by peace in all the land, or that he himself as a person is just peaceful. What does it mean that Jesus is the prince of peace? And, and what sort of peace is it anyways, right? Is it, is it peace from war, right? No fighting, the absence of fighting, or is it peace from distraction? Is it quiet and stillness and calm, the absence of chaos? What sort of peace is Jesus the prince of? Well, We're going to think theologically about this this morning, which means we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about Jesus as Prince of Peace, because frankly, it matters very little what we think it means by Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and it matters very much what the biblical authors intended to say. So, let's look at the text. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 Paul opens with this in this little passage of Scripture. For he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace. He himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, there are a couple things for us to unpack here in this verse. We have apparently two groups that are divided by a barrier that Jesus has destroyed. This barrier is called the dividing wall of hostility. So who are these two groups? 
And what is this wall and how did it get there? Well, to answer these questions, we back up just a few verses to Ephesians 2, verse 11. And Ephesians 2, 11 says this, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. So Paul is writing to a group of Gentiles. Gentile means anyone who's not an Israelite. And he says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, your bloodline, your family uh, of origin is Gentile, not Israelite. And you are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. So these are the two Groups, right? We have the Gentiles and the Israelites. And the Gentiles are called uncircumcised by the Israelites. Now, why are they called that? Well, the the rite of circumcision was the sign that the Lord had chosen to mark those who step into covenant relationship with Him through the nation of Israel. But at this time in Israel, those who were uh, amongst the people of Israel would use this this symbol of covenantal relationship as an insult. If you were an Israelite, to call someone uncircumcised was like hurling an insult at them. You uncircumcised people. Now imagine, if you just get creative with me for a second, that possibly this insult was only an insult within the people of Israel. Like those people receiving it might not have been very insulted, you know? Like, uh, I, I'm a, I was homeschooled as a kid, and in some of my circles growing up, uh, maybe if we were to call someone a public schooler, it was like the low blow, like, you public schooler. You know, but outside of the very few of us who were homeschooled, um, it's like, oh, you got me. I'm a public schooler. Ouch, you know. Um, ouch, that one stings. Uh, not really an insult. Um, And I wonder if something similar is happening here. Like the people who get insulted by Israel, you uncircumcised people, they're like, zinger, nice one. Um, And you call yourselves the circumcision. That sounds like a cool club. I don't want to be a part of it. Um, Maybe that's going on. But here, for the people of Israel, it was a very real thing. A very real thing. And we have these two groups. If we continue on in verse 12, we can get an answer about this dividing wall of hostility. Paul says again to the Gentiles, remember that at that time, that former time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, if the insult of verse 11 fell comedically flat. This verse might get a little more real for the Gentile person. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. And here's the real pain. Without hope and without God in the world. And so this dividing wall of hostility, this barrier that separates the two groups, the Israelites and the Gentiles, is here in verse 12. These 
uh, covenants of the promise. Covenants of the promise. And the Gentiles are said that at one time they were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, separate from Christ, separate from God, divided by this wall of hostility. And we know that the covenants of the promise came from God, and we know that they became a dividing wall of hostility. And something about that doesn't feel right. So let's dig a little deeper. What are these covenants of the promise? Well, in the Old Testament, there are three covenants. The first is known as the Abrahamic covenant. You'll find the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, God, Yahweh, appears to Abram and makes him a promise. He says, Abram, I will bless you. You will be a blessing. In fact, you will be such a blessing that through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. This is the Abrahamic covenant that God chose one man to produce one family through which all nations of the earth will be blessed. The second covenant of the Old Testament is known as the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant. And we can learn about the Mosaic Covenant in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, 5 and 6. At this point in history, Israel, uh, well, Abram's family has turned into a great nation, just as God promised, the people of Israel. And they were slaves in Egypt for four generations. Uh, They were led out by God's chosen servant Moses out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the wilderness, and they come to this mountain. This mountain is Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, God again appears. And in chapter 19, verse 5, the Lord says this, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words, Moses, that you are to speak to the Israelites. And so this Mosaic covenant, it's very similar to the Abrahamic covenant, but the Lord takes it a step further. With Abraham, he said, "You, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to everyone. And here in the Mosaic covenant, the Lord adds a qualifier. He says, if you obey me fully, And keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? Well, in Israelite culture, in the Israelite community, what a priest would do is they would minister for to the souls of the people. And they would intercede on behalf of the people to God. And so they would care for their souls. It's probably the closest thing that um, the Israelite community had to, like a pastor. That they would shepherd the people, that they would care for them, that they would help them in their sin, in their need. And they'd shepherd them into right relationship with God. And God says, if you keep my covenants, you will be a kingdom of priests. All of you will shepherd all the rest of the world into right relationship with me. 
But this covenant, keeping this covenant, was this covenant of Moses that God handed down. It was all these laws that the people of Israel had to follow in order to be restored in right relationship with God. The third covenant um, that you'll hear about in the Old Testament is the Davidic covenant. And God takes the Abrahamic covenant that was expounded through the Mosaic covenant and singles back in on one person yet again. And on David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, the Lord says this to David. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so we have these three covenants that are referenced here in Ephesians chapter 2 by this blanket statement, the covenants. The, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. And the point of these covenants is that God has chosen one family, and then in David, one line of royalty, through whom all nations of the earth will be blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. What Paul doesn't explicitly say in Ephesians chapter 2, but what we can imply from the implications of this text, is that Israel is failing in fulfilling this purpose of these covenants to bless all nations of the earth. Verse 11 said, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, remember that's an insult by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, cut off by a dividing wall of hostility, foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And though God's purpose in the covenants was to bring all the world to himself, rather then live into this honor, this blessing, this commission. The people of Israel held the seal of the covenant above everyone else like an insult. They wanted the blessing without being a blessing. They wanted just the first part. And they hurled circumcision at all Gentiles to degrade, to beat down, and to cut off, you uncircumcised people. And so at this point in history, right before the very first Christmas, when Jesus was born as a baby in a manger, Israel is living outside of the covenant. And because Israel is living outside of the covenant, all peoples of the earth are living outside of the covenant. Neither group has peace with God, and therefore neither group has peace with each other. In steps the Prince of Peace. Uh, the past few years of my life, I have learned a lot about contagion. Anybody else learned about contagion? I learned about contagion. A couple years ago, March 2020, global pandemic smacks the United States uh, and the Woodlands specifically. And uh, I did something that I felt was very smart at the time. I 
declared immunity. I declared it. Uh, Before the vaccine was, I declared immunity. And unfortunately for me, in my brashness, uh, this was reinforced very early on. Uh, Just a few weeks into the pandemic, I committed the cardinal sin, I did the worst, and I accidentally switched drinks with someone else, unknowingly. I drank that drink, figured out that I had switched drinks with somebody, thought, I'll probably be fine. Um, They're not sick. And the next day, that person with whom I had switched tested positive. Um, Guess what? The vid didn't want none of this, right? I did not get COVID. and, And so this told me in my heart, you did it. You did it. You declared immunity, and you are immune. And this declaration carried me forward for about a year and a half uh, until Thanksgiving of 2021. Uh, And Thanksgiving of 2021, I got so sick. Uh, I had a fever around 104 For like three days, I was having fever dreams. I was like seeing demons in the corner of the room. And I was alone in one bedroom, like a 11 by 8, for about six days. Uh, I got so sick of watching football that I can hardly just imagine how I could ever be in that spot. But I was there, sick of watching football, sick of being alone, and just miserable. And here's something I noticed about contagion through that process. Breathing the same air as somebody else can only spread bad things. Right? There's no good contagion. There's only bad contagion. In the body, in the flesh, the only thing that spreads in contagion are bad things, things that you don't want. Right? You're never going to spend enough time breathing the same air as someone who has a six-pack and then catch their six-pack right? As much as you want it to happen, it just won't work. But when you combine the body and the mind, something truly amazing can happen. When you combine the body and the mind and you spend enough time breathing the same air as someone with a six-pack, you might, through spending enough time with them, begin to catch something. You might begin to catch their motivation, their drive, their habits. When you breathe the same air through enough of their schedule, you might begin to do the things that they do, lift the things that they lift, eat the things that they eat, and most importantly, not eat the things that they don't eat. And when you combine the body and the mind through contagion, something very powerful can happen. This past year, um, just to be vulnerable with you guys for a minute, has been a really, really tough year to be a pastor. It's been a really, really tough year to be a pastor. Poor Kelsey. Um, 
There'd be a lot of days where I'd come home from work experiencing all the negative emotions, right? Sadness and loss, anger and frustration, anxiety and fear, doubt. And I would bring that home like a sickness. And as I would breathe the same air as Kelsey, something truly amazing would happen. I would catch her peace. I would catch her peace. When I breathe the same air, body, mind, and spirit, it was like a miracle would happen. I would just get home, spew this negativity, all these negative emotions, and, and like the Holy Spirit would come over Kelsey and she would transform into this like just peaceful, calm, sound thinking human being. Immune to my toxicity. And I would catch her peace. And breathing the same air, sharing my feelings, being listened to, and listening to her, I would catch her peace. Let's turn to Isaiah. Chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42 uh, is a messianic prophecy. It was written around 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the voice of God the Father is speaking through the lips of Isaiah to Jesus the Messiah. Verse 5. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. The Lord is listing his qualifications and saying, this is why you should listen to what I'm about to say. Verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you, the Messiah, in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a what? Excuse me? Covenant. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the who? The Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. The Father sent Jesus the Son as a covenant. And when the people of Israel had misused and missed the mark of the Davidic, the Abrahamic, and the Mosaic covenants, the Father said, I will keep my word. I will send to you a new covenant. Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Friends, if you feel lonely, 
if you feel like you sit in darkness, if you are a captive, if you're a captive to your sin, to that habitual sin that you go back to over and over again, if you're a captive to that little voice that says, say this, do this, watch this, drink this, eat this, Jesus is sent as a Messiah, a new covenant through which you will be delivered. The purpose of this new covenant is in Ephesians 2, verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Church, if you feel far away, if you are in isolation, if you need peace, if the heart is crying out, give me peace, give me Jesus, he's here for you. He's here, draw near to him, breathe his air. I mean, actually breathe his air. Do you know that verse 18 says that for through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. If you want to be in the presence of Jesus, you just close your eyes and open up your heart to the possibility that the Spirit of God, the actual Spirit of the living God is in you, closer than the air you breathe right now. Come and listen to him preach peace to you. Come and listen to him whisper love to you. Yes, it's reading your Bible. Yes, it's prayer. It's more than that. It's not just checking things off a list. It's believing that the Holy Spirit of God is with you in reality. I mean, sometimes when I feel the presence of the Lord, I feel it in my heart, in my mind, but I can feel it in my body. The Lord is with you, really. And if you don't know how to meet with the Lord, man, we'd love to walk with you through that. We'd love to be disciples of Jesus Christ alongside of you. Just reach out. There's so many people that would love to walk with you through that. But we know from the rest of the New Testament that this covenant that was once given to Israel, the two made one by Jesus putting to death the dividing wall of hostility in his body through his death on the cross. We have now been given this job, this charge. And so this Christmas, as our hearts cry out for the Prince of Peace, just believe that he's there. And when you feel his presence, go into the world. And through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Bring the Prince of Peace to the community around you. Let's pray. Father God, 
thank you that when we turned away and our love failed, when we walked away from the covenants, that you kept your promise. God, you have every right to just discard the human race and start over or just stay with the Son and the Spirit and just not even deal with us. But you are so faithful. And when we couldn't fulfill the covenant, you sent the one who couldn't fail. And so help us. Help us to breathe the air of the Holy Spirit. Help us to sit at the feet of the Prince of Peace. That through him, we might have peace with you and peace with the world around us. Father, we love you and we trust you. And we thank you. And as we enter into this time of offering, God, we pray that you would bless both the gifts and the givers alike. That the gifts that are given would be multiplied by your power to bear fruit in this community, kingdom fruit, fruit that will last. And that those who give would be blessed by the freedom that comes from giving things away. We love you so much. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace.